0: Hey, today we are going to talk about a New Year strategy. Now, I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions. When you look up on the internet how soon New Year's resolutions are broken, there's all kinds of different answers, but most of them say that the majority of New Year's resolutions are broken uh, in the first week. And I think, I think, to be honest with you, I mean, this will be transparent with you, I think honestly, some of you really make silly resolutions. I mean, the resolution to stop eating cake. That's just ridiculous. Who would, who would stop doing something like that? So I'm not a big fan of, of New Year's resolutions, but I am a fan of having a strategy to navigate your future. I am a big fan of having a strategy to navigate your new year. Today, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 19, because I think we're going to see in this passage, there is a great strategy for us approaching this new year. And so let's read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 19, and then we'll come back and look at the principles in it. Here's what it says. "Look, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." And so we see in this passage, I think, five really important principles for really a strategy for any time for our lives. Uh, but I think it's especially important at this time of year uh, to look at something like this and say, how can I strategize my new year? And so let's get started. And I think the first th- uh, thing to see is this, pay attention to your life, pay attention to your life. Then you might say, well, that's just kind of obvious, Michael, <clears throat> pay attention to your life. But look how this passage starts out look carefully then how you walk now really what paul is saying here is hey guys pay attention you're about to step in a bear trap pay attention he's saying look pay attention to how your life is pay attention to how you walk he's saying listen if you don't pay attention this is going to this is going to come back to bite you all right pay attention to what you're doing if you don't pay attention your life will just drift on by. Now, many of you have heard the uh, business thing. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Now, that's true for your, for your uh, project at work. If you fail to plan, uh, or, then you plan to fail because if you don't have any kind of plan, when you do it, it's going to be a failure. But folks, this is true for our lives too. If you fail to plan, you're really planning to fail. Who has ever woken up, on December 31st of a year and said, wow, everything I wanted to accomplish this year just kind of got done by accident, said no one ever, right? I mean, that just doesn't happen, folks. Our life doesn't kind of work out uh, just out of just sheer, uh, you know, neglect. That's not how life works. So Paul's saying, hey, listen, I'm gonna say some things here. Be careful how you walk. Pay attention just be, be cognizant, be intentional about the way that you're doing life. And I'm going to give you some specifics here in a minute. But I want to get your, your, your attention. I want to get your focus because the things I'm going to tell you are important. And if you don't do them, you're going to wake up and your life will be gone. Now, listen, I'm living in a group of people with all, you know, my peers are getting older all the time, just like yours. But mine are getting older. And some of us are dying of natural causes and, uh, you know, it, it's just, it, there are numerous people who wake up at the age of 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, and they say, I've wasted my life. I've wasted my life. Now, if you're 20 and you say, I haven't done much with my life yet, it's time to start getting busy. But if you're 50, 60, 70 years old, and you're saying, What have I done with my life? What a terrible tragedy. What a tragedy. And so Paul's saying, listen, folks, pay attention. Look carefully how you walk. Pay attention to your life, because if you don't pay attention, it's just going to slip away, and you're going to come to the end and go, what have I done? What have I done? I don't want anybody to be in that position, and neither did he. So here's his advice. After paying attention, be wise. Be wise. He says, hey, look carefully. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, I think that's interesting. When you look carefully at what he's saying here, he says, look, folks, there are only two choices to living life, either wise or unwise. There is no (laughs) non-wise. There's no neutral It's either positive or negative. There is no neutral wise here. You've got to be one or the other. Wisdom, and I've been really, you know, every time we talk about wisdom, I'm trying to think of a new way to say it, to connect with you, that will help you to understand it in a greater way. Uh, Here's what I've come up with today. Wisdom is the application and execution of right knowledge and thinking. Wisdom is the application and execution of right knowledge and thinking. Now, what that means is first we've got to gain the right knowledge. We have to know knowledge is not wisdom. Knowledge is a piece of wisdom. You can't be wise without good knowledge, but good knowledge alone is not wisdom. Uh, But you have to gain the right knowledge from God's word and from wise people. Folks, when you think about the fact that if I want to live a wise life, how do I do that? How do I gain that? How do I get that started? Well, the first thing is just spend time in God's Word. God's Word is full of wisdom. He wants us to know how to live, how to love Him, how to love others. He, he's, he's, he's trying desperately. Uh, uh, yesterday, I, I preached a funeral for Jennifer Ross's father. And one of the things that I said there was just, you know, listen, God's not trying to keep secrets from us. He's not trying to be, uh, you know, somebody far away that, that doesn't connect with us. He's communicated a lot of things. So it's not here everything. We couldn't, you know, all the books in the world would not uh, be able to fill, be filled to gain the mind of God. But he's cert- certainly shared with us enough information so that we can connect with him, so that we can know how he wants us to live and what he wants us to do. And so God's gone to all this trouble And it's just wise to read his word and to study it and to just get it into our thinking. Now, when I study God's word, it changes my thinking first because I think some stupid things. And and when I read God's word, I see that my thinking is wrong and I change my thinking. My my thinking becomes more godly. It becomes uh, more right. And then if I will take that thinking, the knowledge and the thinking, and begin to apply it and execute my life around it, I show wisdom. I act wisely. But you have to do that over time. Wisdom comes with experience, too. Now, one of the things that I told my kids very early on in their adolescence, I said, Look, kids, you're going to make a lot of mistakes in life. That doesn't make you stupid. Okay? Uh, Everybody makes mistakes. Uh, That doesn't make you stupid. I don't want you to ever feel like you're stupid because you make mistakes. Now, if you make the same one over and over and over and over again, might be different. <laughs> you might have a little stupid problem if you make the same mistake all the time and you take your life down because of it. So one of the things we have to do is through time and experience gain un- this knowledge, this understanding, and then apply it to our lives. All of our p- previous experiences add to our wisdom. In James chapter 1, uh, the Bible is very clear. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God, and he will give it generously and without holding back or without reproach. It says, listen, if you want, if you want wisdom, if you want to live your life in a wise way, God wants to help you. He's not trying to stay uh, far off and aloof. He wants to help you do that. And so the first step in your strategy for 2018, I want you to think to yourself, okay, first of all, I'm going to pay attention to my life. But then I'm going to decide to be wise. And I'm going to do the things necessary to become wiser. Then he says, don't only pay attention to your life and be wise, but buy back your time. Buy back your time. Look what it says right there in the scripture. He says, hey, look carefully, pay attention. How you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Now, this is actually an agricultural term, and it actually means to make the season longer. Now, you think, well, you know, how do you do that? Now, I got to be really honest, from personal experience, my knowledge of farming is about that much. I know where the canned goods are in the grocery store, and that's the extent of my understanding about farming. Uh, But what he's saying here is, listen, do everything you can to make the season longer to have the greatest harvest at the end. And and so what I do know is uh, for virtually every kind of plant, uh, there is a harvest season. You don't harvest things all year long. There is a season where things come into full harvest. And what he's saying is, listen, pay attention, do the things that you can to make the season longer and get the maximum harvest at the end. In other words, if you have an apple orchard, uh, and I don't, I don't know that it's true and I didn't take the time to figure it out, but uh, if you prune your trees in the unharvest time, does that help you produce more uh, uh, apples in the harvest time? If, and what he's saying here is, listen, do the things necessary and make the season longer to have the greatest output for a farmer. Now, how does that apply to our life? It means to both look and take advantage of opportunities, folks. That's what it's talking about. Make the best use of the time. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't always do this because sometimes I'll go, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sit down here and I'm going to... Rest a little bit. I'm going to watch an episode of Law and Order, and six episodes later, I go, "Holy cow! What, is, what did I just do? Just lost six hours of my life, and I got nothing for it." Now we're going to talk about the pendulum principle here in just a little bit, but I, I am going to write a book someday about this. If I can't, I can't believe that one of you have not stolen this from me and our in the church, but. But, but here's this, pri- I've got this principle in my head, I call it the pendulum principle, I've never read about it, I've never heard about it, it's simply come from my own brain, and I, it's just from watching human behavior, I see that people see something bad, and what do they do? They don't come to the balance point, they swing the pendulum to the other extreme. Uh, we look at denominations, many of them are born out of people swinging the pendulum principle and all those kind of, kind of other kinds of things. So I'm not saying, hey, watching television and resting is bad, so just work yourself into the ground. No, 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 no. There's a balance of all these things, folks. And, and all I'm saying is there are times when I, I, I just lose a lot of time. You know, I can, I can rest uh, sitting with one of you at a coffee shop talking about Jesus. It's not real hard work. I, I can relax sitting uh, over a soda uh, sharing the gospel with somebody. There are a lot of ways that I can rest and recoup in my brain and stuff without without having to just vegetate and lose the time. So the question is, do we look for opportunities to minister to others? Do we look for opportunities to share the gospel? Do we look for opportunities to love your spouse? Do you look for opportunities to teach and develop your kids, disciple others, grow in every area of life? You know, one of my grandson's favorite times of the year is uh, uh, the Easter because they get to come over to our house and do a little Easter egg hunt. And it's not really much of a hunt; it's really us throwing a bunch of eggs in the front lawn and them going and picking them up. I mean, that's there's no hunting going on there, you know. But they love doing it. But but what this is saying is, listen, do you do you wake up and go, I, I, I'm looking today, I'm hunting for opportunities to not waste my time, but be useful of the time. I want to buy back the time. Listen, it doesn't matter what economic uh, uh, kind of system you were born into or level you were born into. It doesn't matter about your family history. It doesn't matter about anything else. We all have the same amount of time every single day to invest in our lives and others. That is a gift from God, folks. And the Bible says it's like a vapor, it is here today, and it is gone tomorrow. There is not much time. And the older I get, the more I realize that. It just seems to just go. So you've got to make the best use of our time, folks. It's limited. It's limited. And Paul's saying, listen, if you want to make the best of 2018 make the best use of your time because the days are evil. <clears throat> it doesn't mean, and when it says the days are evil, that doesn't mean that, uh, hey, you know, the days, are, the days that we're living in are evil and they've gotten eviler. Uh, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is buy back the time because the days are evil. They will suck out of you your time and it will be gone. Once you lose time, it's gone. I know some people who have had problems with their children, their adult children, and they've gone for a decade without talking to them. And then they make up, and uh, everything's fine again. And I'll tell you, they always talk about, I can't believe we lost a decade of time. We lost a decade of relating to one another and having a relationship Folks, when you lose those kind of things, you don't get them back. Now, I don't know how your 2017 went. I don't know how successful you were at doing or being the things that God wanted you to do or be. But probably for a lot of us, we lost some time there that we'll never get back. Now, He's gracious. 2018's coming. But we can't lose that time, folks. Make the best use of your time because we don't get it back. And if we don't make the if we don't make good use of it, uh, man, it'll just be gone. And by the way, when you're looking around for it like that, man, I'm telling you, the best teaching times with my kids were all because I was looking for them. I I, I never sat down and thought to myself, well, today what are the lessons I'm going to teach my kid? No, no, no. It's like we're, we're we're driving, and and somebody spins out in front of us, and I say to one of them, do you see what they just did? They overcorrected. Did you see that? They, they, they don't know how to drive on snow. Now, let me tell you how to do that. And I teach them. Even as little kids, do you, do you see how that works? Do you see what that person did? Do you see how that works? That's how you teach them. Listen, it's the same way in life. We've got to look for those opportunities. They are all around us. We just don't pay attention. Instead of acting like we're living in an Easter egg hunt, we, we act like we're just looking up into the sky, not paying any attention. And Paul's saying, look, folks, pay attention to your life. Be wise and buy back your time because you only get a limited amount of it. Then he says to know and do God's will. Let's go back to our scripture passage. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Pay attention, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, again, he's given us two opposites. The opposite of understanding what the will of the Lord is, is being foolish. Now, if somebody came to you this afternoon, let's say you run into a neighbor and go, "Hey, um, you know, I, I saw that you probably went to church this morning because I can't imagine anybody getting out this cold to go anyplace else. Um, what's God's will for you? What would be your answer?" Now, I I, I have asked people this before. And a lot of people go, I I don't know. I, I don't know God's will for me. What the Bible says here is that's foolish, folks. If that's how you would answer that question, you're in a foolish place right now. Let's get to a place where you're not foolish and know what the will of the Lord is. Now we have a tendency to think when we read passages like this, okay, God's will is uh, what job should I have and where I should live and how many kids I should have and who my spouse all these you know situational things. But God's will is way bigger than that. I can say without a doubt that I know a whole lot of God's will for you. Does that sound arrogant? I know God wants you to become a Christian by putting your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to save you from your sins. That's God's will for you. I know God's will for you is to be in a good Bible-believing church, one whose name, uh, the acronym is is an actual English word. I know God's will for you is to serve the body of Christ. I know God's will for you is to love your neighbors as yourself. See, I could go on for really several hours about what I know God's will is for you because it's the same for me, because a lot of it is general for all of us. This isn't saying, hey, know what God wants you to do tomorrow and what socks to wear. You know, it's not all that goofy stuff we get caught up in. It's we should know the will of God for ourselves. You should be able to answer that question. But it's not just about doing. Now, look at the, look at the passage carefully, what it says. Is. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand, there's no doing there, understand what the will of the Lord is. But it certainly implies that you don't just know it, but you do it. There's no advantage to knowing it and ignoring it. The fact is, folks, we have to both know and do God's will. So, What is it you know about God's will that you're not currently doing? Change that in 2018. I know God's will is for me to share the gospel with my neighbors. I've never done that. Change it in 2018. If you know that's God's will, then do it. Know it and do it. And then lastly, we see don't just pay attention to your life, don't just be wise about how you live and buy back your time. Don't just know and do God's will, but be led by the Spirit of God and nothing else. Let's go back to our scripture passage. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Again, he's giving us two opposites, being controlled by God or being influenced and controlled by something else. Drunk in this passage means to be influenced by or led by or driven by. Now, I know that in our culture... um, And by the way, this is not a don't drink, you know, sermon. But it's in the scripture. We got to talk about it. We don't avoid the topics that the Bible talks about. Um, Listen, we have this idea that, well, I'm not drunk until I'm at .08 or whatever the legal limit is. That's not, the, the Bible's definition of drunkenness is not a blood alcohol content. It's the moment it begins to influence you the moment it begins to influence you. Now, uh, as traditional, let's just talk for a minute about this pendulum principle again. Traditional Baptists and Evangelicals have had a history of being uh, uh, led by guilt, by association, to avoid sin. Here's what I mean by that. The Bible's clearly uh clearly says that to uh, take your paycheck and go and gamble it away because you're trying to get rich another way than working hard is a sin. Clear cut, there's no discussion, there's no interpretation that is clear cut as a bell. And so to avoid sin we sometimes have a tendency, let's, so so all that gambling stuff's really bad, so let's swing way over here, and I'm not going to let my kids play old maid, because I don't want them to slip into gambling their paycheck away, trying to get rich, okay? That's just goofiness, folks. That is our human goofiness that, that <laughs> I understand the motive is good, we don't want our kids to gamble, okay? Okay, so we sw- swing way over here. Um you know, uh, uh, drinking and dancing uh, go hand in hand. I don't know any successful, and there could be some because I don't know what I'm talking about here. There could be some really successful dance clubs in town that have no alcohol. But I can tell you almost every bar that has a floor big enough, there's dancing. So we go, okay, dancing is really evil. So, you know, I can't take my wife out to dinner and us do some ballroom dancing on our anniversary. You you up for that? Okay. Uh, I can't watch Dancing with the Stars because that's so evil because they're dancing. You see, we have this tendency to go, these things are sinful, so we're going to swing the pendulum way over here, and everything that's even remotely associated with this thing becomes this evil thing. And through the last 50 years, this has led to a lot of legalism in the church and guilt and bondage. Can't play cards. You can't dance. You can't watch movies. You can't wear pants. You can't wear makeup. But well, guys can wear pants. You can't women can't wear pants. Okay. So let's get back to our passage. We know that the Bible does not condemn the consumption of alcohol. Now, some evangelicals want to twist and turn the scriptures into saying that. Biblical wine didn't have any alcohol content. Baloney. It's just baloney, folks. It's not true, can't be true, and I'll tell you why it can't be true. It's real simple. 1 Timothy 5 23 says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, if that was grape juice, I can tell you I drink Welch's grape juice, I love it, but that doesn't do anything for your stomach. It was the alcohol content in the wine that helped a person with stomach problems and their frequent ailments. Now, I'll give you an example. I had uh, my dad's oldest brother who's passed away. Uh, He was a physician. We called him Uncle Doc. I always thought he was one of the seven dwarfs. (laughs) But uh, my Uncle Doc was probably one of the most godly men I've ever known in my whole life. I mean, this man, he worked... like a dog as a physician, made a ton of money. Was the lead surgeon uh, at one of the hospitals here in Kansas City for a number of years. In fact, I almost died of my appendix because uh, my appendix went bad on me on a Sunday afternoon. He was the doctor on call and they wouldn't let him do my surgery. So he finally, and this is before cell phones, so he finally found this great heart surgeon. In town, and he said, "Well, I've never done this. I haven't done this. I almost said experiment. This surgery, (laughs) this surgery since uh, 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 school. But if you'll talk me through it, so this this great heart surgeon took my appendix out. But anyway, my uncle Doc was this great godly man. He he made a ton of money, and he just gave it all away to his church, to a Christian school that he funded almost primarily on his own. He was just a good and godly man. Every single night." About an hour before he went to bed, he would walk to the refrigerator. He had this little shot glass that he kept above the refrigerator. He'd take it off the top, and he'd pour a little glass glass of red wine, and he'd he'd drink it down, and he'd put the bottle back and the cup back, and that that was what he did. He had some stomach problems, and he knew God's word clearly, and he was a physician. He knew that that helped his stomach, so he did that every single night. That's all the alcohol I ever saw him consume, and he did that, I think, Partly to, for his stomach and partly because he wanted to... That was kind of his message to us every night. I'm about to go to bed. You should leave. All right? But listen. Listen. I wish... I'm just talking to you now. I wish the Bible said don't drink alcohol. I really do. But it doesn't. And, and God's word is God's word. And my opinion is my opinion. But here's the problem. In our culture... We say, hey, the Bible doesn't say you can't consume alcohol. So what do we do? wee party on, Garth. <laughs> right? We swing the pendulum. And we say the Bible doesn't deny it, so it's okay. But folks, here's the thing. We can't ignore what we've already read. The Bible's very clear. Be wise about your life. Be cautious. Just because we can do something doesn't mean that it's wise to do it. Now, when my kids got old enough to drink alcohol or go to places that would serve them alcohol, they probably weren't legally able to drink it yet, I sat down and talked with them and showed them what the Bible says. And I said, okay, it doesn't say you can't drink it, but it does say don't be drunk with it, don't be controlled by it, don't be influenced by it. I can't tell you whether that's a half a drink, a drink, two drinks, five drinks that influence you. I guarantee the people around you can tell you. But here's something I want you to hear. Every person who has had a problem with alcohol believed at some point that they either didn't have a problem with it or wouldn't have a problem with it. Every single one. And here's what I would tell you. For the last 30 years, I have had absolutely zero problems with alcohol affecting me. Because I just don't drink it. Now, you come to my house, go to my refrigerator. Yeah, there's a bottle of champagne in there. I won that on our cruise, and I don't know what to do with it. (laughs) I I think I'm going to buy a boat and christen it, is what I'm going to use it for, okay? (laughs) But here's the point in 30 years, I've never mistreated my wife because I drank too much. I might mistreat her because I'm an idiot, but drinking wouldn't help me not be an idiot. I've never been in a car accident or killed someone because I drank too much. I haven't mistreated my kids because I drank too much. I haven't lost a job because I drank too much. I haven't had any of those problems in my life because I've avoided all those problems in a sense because I don't drink, so I've never gotten, you know. And, of course, listen, I'm still an idiot in a lot of ways. I get that. But I don't need something to make me more of an idiot. That doesn't help my life. No one who ever uh, has avoided alcohol has had an issue with it. So I think, my opinion, my, I think the less you do that, the wiser you are. But the focus of this passage is not on don't ever take a drink of alcohol. Listen, if you're a responsible person and you uh, are like my uncle and you can sit down to dinner and have a glass of wine with your dinner and you don't and you've never ever ever misuse or abuse it, good for you. God bless you. If you can do that 100% of the time, right on. But here's the point. When we allow anything else to influence us, in a sense, God's spirit is not able to. God's spirit is not able to, okay? I'm pretty sure that my uncle taking a shot of red wine before he goes to bed for his stomach probably didn't, didn't confuse his thinking any. But what this is saying, folks, is, listen, if you want to have a life that matters, you've got to let God's Spirit lead you. And you have to be of the right mind. You have to be of a sober and clear mind and heart to do that. And when you fill your mind with other things that confuse it, like alcohol. And by the way, I don't think this verse only applies to alcohol. same with prescription drugs or anything else that would confuse your mind. But the focus is being led by the Spirit of God. And when other things are influencing your mind, He isn't. Live in such a way that you're sober and clear-minded so that you don't put up barriers to God leading you. We should, it's almost like, I wish I could have uh, come up with some kind of a picture of a posture. It's almost like I'm looking down for opportunities and I'm listening to God for God's voice at the same time. There's, there's this kind of readiness about doing life. As you approach 2018, if you want to make a resolution and break it, go. But I would rather you adopt a strategy that would help you in 2018. When you get to December 31st of 2018, you look back on that year and you go, wow, look at the great things that I've done for God and his kingdom. Not because I'm great. Listen, folks, God wants to use you in a great way in people's lives. In your kid's life, in your spouse's life, in your church's life, God is wanting to do that. And all he's saying is, listen, will you just pay attention, focus on me, look for opportunities, and let me lead you in a way that your life will really matter. I don't want any of us waking up when we're 80 years old and saying, what did I do with my life? Because folks, there's not, another, there's not a second chance at that point. It's not a second chance at that point. But even if you're 80 and you're sitting here today and you feel that way, you still got some time. If you're still breathing, you still got time. So make it, make it count. Make it count. 2017 for me was not as successful as I wanted it to be for me personally for some of these reasons. I let myself get distracted. I let myself waste time. Now, I'm the kind of guy that always shoots for Mars, and if we land on the moon, I still go, woo-hoo, at least we made it to the moon, okay? Uh, so I, I never reach all my goals, and I'm okay with that. They, they still push me. But listen, I want 2018 to count big time in my life. And by the way, this is not only a strategy for our individual lives, but for fellowship of grace, for Fellowship of Grace. This is your New Year's strategy. Next week, we're going to talk about the state of the church. I'm going to give you a kind of a state of the church address, kind of an update on where we came in 2017. 2017 was really a year of transition in a lot of ways for us, but we're going to hit the ground running in 2018, and I expect God to do some really awesome and cool things with us as a church in 2018, and I want you to be a part of that, and I want God to use you in a really big way. And so come next week and hear how you can be a part of that and put these strategies in place individually and as a group to see God use us and make 2018 really count. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that you have given us on this earth. It is a blessing. Help us to see it that way, not take it for granted, not let it slip by. God, thank you for the successes of the past, for the times when You have used us to minister to others, to uh, share the gospel with others, to uh, bless others. Father, I pray, though, for the future that you would help us to become more focused, uh, uh, laser-beam focused to being who you want us to be. God, help us to not let other things come uh, between your leading us and, and our lives. Father, help us to really, really pay attention and look for opportunities to see you use us to grow your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.